Thank you for choosing this podcast. It's our pleasure to share with you the word of the Lord. Proverbs 23.12 says, Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to the words of knowledge. Join us as Pastor Jim Bunch shares God's word with the people at Christian Outreach Center in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. have your Bibles this morning, would you please open them to the book of Philippians chapter 3 and put your finger in there. Philippians chapter 3. I want to preach this message, you can do better. You can do better. And you'll understand where I'm going with this. This is not a self-help message. Alright? It's not one of those little ditties that... I give you a bunch of little self-help pointers. You can get those on the internet, on emails, everywhere. That's not what this is about today. You can do better. And the reason I went here is I remembered way back one time when someone said to me, Jim, you are better than that. Jim, you are better than this. And it reminded me who I was in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I'm going to share with you some of the things that God has ministered to me. But ask yourself this question. What could the Holy Spirit do with you if he had total control in your life? Do you think you could become like one of the disciples in the book of Acts? Oswald Chambers titled his daily devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest. And that, my friend, is the key to realizing our fullest potential for the kingdom of God. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 9, Paul told the Hebrews, he said, We are persuaded of better things of you. Now, that whole chapter is awesome. And I want to just read some portions of that chapter as introduction to this message this morning. And I'm going to read it from the message translation. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 6. So come on, let's leave the preschool fingerprinting exercises on Christ and get on with the grand work of art. Grow up in Christ. The basic foundational truths are in place. Turning your back on salvation by self-help and turning in trust toward God. Baptismal instructions, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. He's saying, in essence, those are all there. They've all been put in place. You've been taught those. God helping us, we'll stay true to all that. But there's so much more. Let's get on with it. Have you ever felt like saying, is this all there is? Once people have seen the light, I'm reading now in verse 4. Once people have seen the light, gotten a taste of heaven, and been part of the work of the Holy Spirit, once they've personally experienced the sheer goodness of God's Word and the powers breaking in on us, if they turn back, or if they turn their backs on it, washing their hands of the whole thing, well... 
They can't start over as if nothing happened. That's impossible. Why? They've crucified Jesus. They've repudiated him in public. Parched ground. Now, he illustrates what he's saying here with an with a illustration from agriculture. He says, parched ground that soaks up the rain and then produces an abundance of carrots and corn for its gardener gets God's well done. But if it produces weeds and thistles, it's more likely to get cussed out. Fields like that are burned, not harvested. I'm sure that this won't happen to you, dear friends. I have better things in mind for you. Salvation things. God doesn't miss anything. He knows perfectly well all the love you've shown him by helping needy Christians and that you keep at it. And now I want each of you to extend that same intensity toward a full-bodied hope and keep at it till the finish. Don't drag your feet. Be like those who stay the course with committed faith and then get everything promised to them. He goes on to illustrate with a story from Abraham and admonishes us not to cast off our confidence in God. I want you to understand a principle that flows throughout this message this morning, and this is it. Being precedes doing. I am, therefore I will, or therefore I do. Being precedes doing. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Say it with me. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We know that by heart. That's talking about regeneration. That's talking about when we at salvation ask God to forgive us our sins, we are cleansed of our sins, and we receive the gift of eternal life, which is, beloved, in essence, His Son Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the indwelling presence of God in our lives. Ephesians 2.6 We are seated together with Christ where? In heavenly places. Now these things are important because they go to the fact of who we are in Christ. We are new creations. Do we still have a sinful nature? Yes. But we're not to live by the, by the dictates of the sinful, carnal, old nature. We are to live by the Spirit and the new nature. And we're going to talk about that for just a minute so that you understand what it is. It's Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 to 26. Real quickly, Paul contrasts and compares the works of the flesh with the works of the Spirit so that there is no doubt in our mind as to what is going on in us and what is guiding and what is directing us. Now, let's read it. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and following. I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. Did you get that? The flesh and the Spirit are at opposites. Is this resonating with anybody this morning? Does anybody understand that? 
The flesh and the spirit are at opposites with each other. Watch, he's going to show you. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy. Nobody here ever have a problem with jealousy, right? Outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar about which I tell you in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, can it be any plainer than that? Okay, now the things of the Spirit... Those are the things of the flesh, now the things of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Now that's, that's laying a foundation, an introduction. Have you ever had a spiritual awakening... When you were in the throes of walking in the flesh and suddenly the Holy Spirit said to you, you are better than this. You are better than this. You are living so far beneath what Christ wants you to be. And he was speaking not to legalism, not to law, because if we walk in the, in the flesh, we're going to put ourselves under the law. But if we walk in the Spirit and follow after the things of the Spirit, there is no law, there is no limit to the things of the Spirit. And so, I say to you, number one, beginning in, in Philippians now, if you'll go to Philippians chapter 3 with me. Philippians chapter 3. The first thing I want to say to you is that you... And I, we can do better by this number one thing. And that is, it all begins with an attitude of thankfulness. Make this the very first thing in your life every day. If you will start every day with an attitude of thankfulness, you're going to have a good day. I mean, if you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off or somebody is slow poking along in front of you, if you can remember an attitude of thankfulness, it can change your whole outlook. It can change your whole day. Look what Paul says in Philippians. He said, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. 
That's the New King James Version. The Message Translation says, Be glad in God. The Amplified Bible says, Delight yourselves in the Lord and continue to rejoice that you are in Him. I like what 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks. Thank you, God, that that person waiting out there in the waiting room to see me next, thank you, God, for them. Thank you that I have this next appointment. Thank you, God, that I have this contrary customer. Huh? Thank you, God, that I, I'm going to get to use this torch, this welder, whatever, today. Praise God. I mean, can you just imagine the feeling that it's going to do to you when you begin to thank God for everything? Can you imagine what it's going to do for your attitude? Can you imagine what it's going to do in the attitude of the people around you? How many times have we been caught up in the complaining of, of uh, fellow employees or family members or what have you? Have you ever noticed you come away from those feeling really great? Just elated and on top of the world? No, not. You come away from those feeling, wow, what a bummer, what a downer. But you and I can change that, can't we? In a minute, we can change our own inner peace and joy by giving thanks, by being thankful, having an attitude of gratitude toward God. It works, folks. It works. You just watch this for just a minute. If right now I told you that I had in my pocket a thousand dollars to give to somebody here this morning and I was going to give it away to a person here this morning, how would that make you feel? Excited? Expecting? Could be me. Almost like the lottery, huh? Boy, that would be a great uh, incentive to build church attendance, wouldn't it? We'll, we're going to have a lottery every Sunday. Yeah. Okay. Um, you, you, would, you would feel excited, expectant. Now, I don't have $1,000 to give you, and you probably know that. But just the thought of it. Just the thought of it. Think about this for a moment. Well, I'm jumping ahead of myself. I'll get that at the end. I won't do that. I'm going to save that to the end. Secondly, you can do better. I can do better. We can do better. Not only by having an attitude of thankfulness, but secondly, avoiding two very big traps. There's a positive, give thanks, but there's also a caution Paul issues about something that can really sink your boat and stop you in your tracks. Unfortunately, many who have hungered for God went looking for Him in all the wrong places. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 2 to 6. Paul says, Beware of dogs. I knew that the Bible had something against dogs. I just never had a scripture for it. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, 
of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is by the law, blameless. Listen to part of that from the Philippians, uh, from the message translation. Steer clear of the barking dogs, those religious busybodies, all bark and no bite. All they're interested in is appearances. They are knife-happy <laughs> they are knife-happy circumcisers, I call them. The real believers are the ones of the Spirit. Uh, the, the real believers are the ones the Spirit of God leads to work away in this ministry, filling the air with Christ's praise as we do it. We couldn't carry this off by our own efforts, and we know it, even though we can list what many think are impressive credentials. The Amplified Bible says, We pride ourselves in Christ Jesus and put no confidence or dependence in the flesh and on outward privileges and physical advantages and external appearances. What we're saying here is that there are two traps you need to be on guard and watch out for. Number one, false religion. False religion. False religion is that religion that puts on a show of carnality, fleshly things. False religion is that which does not engender and entertain and practice the wonderful presence of God, but rather entertains people. Entertains people with various things of the world, manipulates people, and uses people. This is false religion. The second trap, he says, is confidence in the flesh. Confidence in your achievements, your, your lineage, your, your education, your wealth, what have you, your talent. He says these are two traps to avoid in being better. You and I can do better. We can achieve great things for God. But we must remember to avoid these two traps. And that is false religion and confidence in the flesh or in our own abilities. I was uh, telling Renee this morning, we stopped at the IHOP to have breakfast over on Level Road. And as we came out, the place was just filling up. And there were a lot of people with kids. And I thought, what is this? Just all of a sudden, boom, here they are. Then it dawned on me, many of them had been to their early morning devotional. Yeah, they had been to their little 45-minute devotional that they called church, and now they were free to come have breakfast. It hit me, because I know the times of their services over there. And I looked at the time, and I said, oh yeah, now I get it. They've done their religious duty. This is false religion. Now, I'm connecting the dots, if you'll just stay with me. I didn't just say that to be critical. I said that to show you something. If you are going to church solely for the purpose of completing your obligation, of fulfilling something that is a religious duty, if you are going to church... Because it's expected of you. If you're going to church because your conscience will feel better about entertaining yourself the rest of the day with worldly things, you are 
a false Christian. And chances are, the place that is teaching you that junk is a false religion. Listen, church. We don't time God by the clock. Do you realize there is no clock in heaven? Can you imagine when we get up there and God says, we're going to have a worship service. And some of these folks that have been conditioned to the 45-minute service go, okay. They won't have a watch, will they? They won't have a clock, will they? And they find out that it's an eternal worship service. (laughs) Oh, my. What do we do with this? You know? Okay, that's false religion. The point I'm making here is when you wake up in the Spirit. And now, some folks do not know any different. They've never known any different. And those that are leading them will never tell them any different. Because if they did, it would mess up the works big time. If the Spirit of God were ever allowed free reign, it would really mess up things big time. Can you imagine with your 45-minute services having to herd this group out and herd the next group in? What if this group you're trying to herd out, the Holy Spirit had moved in on and half of them were on the floor? Well, the cowboy herders that you have doing the herding wouldn't be enough to carry them out. Well enough said. Two traps to avoid. We can do better positively by having an attitude, an attitude of thankfulness and negatively, in a sense, avoiding false religion and any reliance on the flesh. Thirdly, my friend, you can do better. I can do better. We can do better. If we right now will just reset our priorities. Okay. How many of you know that you have a reset button? You didn't know this? You've got a reset button. You can push this reset button this morning and change all of your priorities. Because it's just possible that they're kind of skewed, kind of a kind of out of order this morning. Our priorities sometimes are thrown out of whack by listening to or walking according to the dictates of the flesh, our carnal mind. Well, God, I want this. And we go for it. We put all of our energy and we lose focus because our focus now is on something material, something earthly, something temporal. Listen to me. When you do that, when I do that, when we do that, we lose perspective on what God's priorities are. So reset your priorities. You ready to hit the reset button this morning? Let's read the scripture and see what it says. Philippians chapter 3. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Here's the reset button. Take out your checkbook. Take out your plastic. Gentlemen, get those offering plates together. Praise God. We're going to relieve you of all of that earthly worry and stress that you have over those earthly possessions. (laughs) Amen? We're going to reset your priorities this morning. When you leave here, you will have no worries because you will have nothing. Does that sound good? 
No? Well, I thought it was a good idea. I mean, I've seen preachers take offerings in various ways. I just thought I'd use one of their gimmicks and work this, you know. Which is exactly what I'm preaching against this morning, huh? I'm kidding. We're not going to take your checkbook or your plastic. Let's read on. Verse 8. Yet indeed I also count all things loss. For what? For what? What would make Peter, James, and John leave the fishing business and follow Christ? What would make Paul give up a, an illustrious, successful career that had him on a career path for a great position in the Jewish religion? What would cause him to suddenly cast that off and change direction and go with a sect and follow Jesus knowing that it would mean he would lose everything? He names just prior to this his credentials and what he had in the Jewish religion. And now he's telling us, I have reset. I came to a point in my life where I reset my priorities. And all of that that I held as important, all of that that I I used as my self-confidence, self-esteem builder, all of that... Is rubbish. Man, something had to happen, huh? Something dramatic had to have happened in Paul's life for him to make that kind of change in his priorities. And he said, here it is. I have thrown all of that away for this purpose, and that is that I might gain the excellent knowledge of Jesus Christ. All of that I have exchanged for the knowledge of of Jesus Christ my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him And the power of His resurrection. Did we not just sing it this morning? The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. And the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Wow! What a treatise. What what an eye-opener. What a what a, 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 a bold statement. I've traded it all for Christ. That's what he said. This is my priority. Jesus first and everything else second. What are your priorities? What are my priorities? Is Jesus first? Is God first? What's second? If God is first, what's second? Is it um, your marriage, your family, your work, your career? You say, well, how do I know, Jim? How do I determine my priorities? Is Is it by the amount of time and effort I put into it? Not necessarily. Because we all have to work, and most of us work at least eight hours a day. So we cannot necessarily determine our priorities by how much time we invest in it, can we? Isn't it really a matter of the attitude and the heart? Of how we have 
designed our lives and what philosophy we're living our lives by? Can you discern from watching me what my priorities are? Can you discern from watching someone else discern what their priorities in life are? How? You watch what they say. You watch how they conduct their life. You watch uh, what they devote their attention to. You watch how they, they uh, raise their family. How they interact with other people. If they treat other people badly, you assume that they really don't care about people. We know that that certainly was a priority of Jesus Christ or is of Jesus Christ. So we can determine a lot about a person's priority by just watching and listening to them, can't we? I like what the message translation says about this portion of Scripture. The very credentials these people are waving around as something special, I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. Do you know somebody that is very prideful in their achievements? And why, he said, because of Christ, yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand. Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. And I won't say what he says here. Well, I will too because it's a translation of the Greek language. Do you want to know what it says? You want to know what rubbish and what that stuff, what it really is in the Greek? You want to know? Anybody want to know? Do you really want to know? Will somebody get offended if I say it? It's a four-letter word. You sure you want to hear it? It stinks. It stinks. This translation has it as dog dung. Now, do I need to explain what dung is? You find it in the horse lot or the cattle stall. Is that enough? Everybody got it? All right. He said, being a Pharisee, being a Hebrew of Hebrew, having all those accolades and achievements and all of the attaboys when I would persecute Christians and throw them in jail, all the pats on the back, oh, oh, you just, oh, Paul, I saw, rather, Saul, you, you, oh, Saul, buddy, you're up and coming, you're gonna be a, you're gonna be a bright star in the, in the, in the Jewish religion, why, man, we're gonna put you on the Sanhedrin, wow, he may have already been there, I don't know. He said, all of that, I now see as dog dung. Throw it out with the trash. It's worthless. What about this morning if, if, if we take all of our credentials? If we take all of the attaboys, if we take all of the things that, that we take pride in, accomplished on earth, what if we take them all and we just put a big garbage can here and we just bring them and put them in the garbage can? That's what Paul did. That's exactly what he did. Now, boy, that's hard to do. Renee's sister, Robin, <clears throat> she was rummaging through some of my boxes for some reason. I don't remember what it was. I don't know. 
But she came across one of my degrees. And she said, Jim, you need to put this up. And so she put it up. Why don't you put these up? When she left the room, I took and put it back in the box. That's not who I am. That's not who I am. See? I'm coming from who I am, not what I got or what I've done or what I've achieved. Who am I? Who are you? Being precedes doing. I can do better. Not by self-help. Not by another piece of paper. But by an attitude of thankfulness. By avoiding those two traps. And, brothers and sisters, by resetting my priorities. When I get off track, wrapped up in my world, I'm going to marry this person. I'm going to marry this person. I'm going to marry this person. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm going to go here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Go ahead. Go on. Don't listen to your mom. Don't listen to your dad. Don't listen to your preacher. Don't listen to the elders. Don't listen to anybody. You are an entity unto yourself. Go for it. I would love to preach your funeral. And I will sing at your funeral. He did it his way. And here he is. Put it on his tombstone. You say, preacher, you're hard. No, I'm just realistic. There's God's way, and then there's your way. Which is better? God's way. Always, always, always. God's way is better. How many of you with a show of hands this morning know what I'm talking about? There's been a time in your life when you did it your way and you got the results of it and it wasn't good. Let's see your hands. How many of you also have had a wonderful experience? You did it God's way and you didn't necessarily even like it, but you did it because it was right. It was God's way. It was tough. It didn't even involve some suffering and sacrifice, but you did it God's way anyway and you were blessed in the end. Can I see your hands? Priorities. Priorities. Paul said, it's about knowing Him. It's about knowing Him. Priority number one in our life is knowing Him. Can I ask you something? Last night as we were walking and praying, somewhere into the second hour, God stopped me. In my tracks. Holy Spirit said, Jim, what's it all about? Why are you doing this? Why are you pastoring this church? Why are you working as a rehabilitation counselor? Why are you doing this? And I said, 
Well, the Holy Spirit said to me, I didn't say to him, he said to me, if it isn't all about Jesus, then what is it all about? Now stop and think about that for a minute, friend. If what I'm doing in this life isn't all about Jesus, then what is it about? In the final analysis, what's going to count? Is it going to be to my credit that I built a successful ministry? Is, is that what it's about? Is it that I become a success in, in my uh, secular vocation? Is, is that what it's about? Is it a successful business? Is it graduating tops in my class? Is it making myself attractive to others? Is it being perfect by worldly or religious standards? What the Holy Spirit showed me last night, church, is if it isn't about Jesus, if it isn't all about Jesus, we're missing the mark. We are settling for something far less than what He has for us. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. The final, if, and I guess I'll do it right here. I meant to do it later, but I guess I'll just go ahead and do it right here. Let's say, for example, this morning, just, uh, let's just play what if. What if I'm an angel from the Lord? What if I have a message for you? And what if that message is, you have 24 hours to live? Now, you're not going to suffer a violent death. You're not going to die from a disease. You're just going to go to sleep and wake up in heaven. What does that do to your priorities for the rest of the day? Hmm? It kind of changes things, doesn't it? You ever know someone that was given a death sentence? You have six months to live. You have 30 days to live. Have you ever known someone closely? Have you ever noticed how their life changes, their priorities, their focus? Everything changes. Why? Because eternity comes into view. And when eternity comes into view, church, the one thing and the only thing that's important is Jesus Christ. Everything else is secondary. Everything else can be put off. Everything else will fall away. And Jesus and Jesus alone rises supreme in our life. Why? Because we're going to spend eternity with Him. We're going to heaven. We believe that. We profess that. We look forward to that. We sing about that. But are we ready right now to lay it all down and meet Him face to face? Are we ready to give it all up? I remember I was preaching something like this one time and my daughter Melissa came to me after the service and she said, Dad, I didn't really like that sermon. Something to this effect. You know, my memory's not that great. She probably said something else. But anyway, this is how I took it. I didn't really like that sermon. I said, why? She said, you preach Jesus is coming back soon, just any time. I said, yeah, I did. 
She said, I'm, I, I'm planning to get married and have kids. He can't come back yet. Childish, immature, but how many of us are living our lives in a similar vein? God, you're going to interrupt. You're going to interrupt. You're going to interrupt. Would to God that He would interrupt. Amen? Would to God that He would interrupt. We say we are doing things for Christ, but the truth of the matter is, we are doing them for ourselves that we may either feel good about ourselves or make others like us. The goal of our life is not to be successful by any of the world's standards, but rather to empty ourselves of self and be filled with God's precious Holy Spirit. In other words, it's all about Him or else all else is futile. Dog dung. Beloved, when he said that to me last night, I said, you know what, Lord? I don't know if I'm living up to that. When I analyze my life in that perspective, I don't know if I'm living up to that. How much of what I am doing how much are you involved? How much am I worshiping you, thanking you, praising you, living for you in every aspect of my life? Are you there, number one, at the top of the list, in my mind and in my heart? Is it all about you? Is church all about Him? Do we go to church to experience Him and to love Him and to worship Him? Or do we go to church because it's expected of us? Or to meet some religious requirement to get another ticket punched so that if He comes back today, bless God, I'll get to go to heaven. How much of what is done in church is about Him? Hmm. I said, but Jim, but Jim, surely you must understand that, 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 that there, 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 are, there are buildings to be built, there's evangelism to be done, there's missions, and yes, yes, and all of it necessary. All of it necessary. But how much of what we're doing there is He vitally involved in? Or as one of the slides that I put up this morning said on the announcements, if the Holy Spirit were removed from the earth today, 90% of what is done in church would go on business as usual. Fourthly, Fourthly, renew your determination to pursue Jesus. It's all about Him, church. It's all about an intense hunger. It's all about an intense hunger for Him. 
I often ask this question and it sets some people back on their heels. If you don't enjoy worshiping Him and being in His presence and allowing His presence to fill you, if you're so time conscious that you're worried about getting out of church in time to beat the Baptist to the buffet, if your concept of church is 45 minutes, bada bam, bada bing, bada boo. Why do you want to go to heaven? Why do you want to go to heaven? Why? Because in heaven, His throne is the focal point of everything. People fall at His feet. They worship Him. Why do you want to go to heaven? Why do you want to go to heaven? Do you just want to miss hell and make heaven? Is that it? Fire insurance? Bless God, I was baptized when I was five years old. I'm good to go. Hallelujah to God. My name is on the membership roll down there to First Self-Righteous Church. I'm good to go. Hmm? Living like the world, running after the world. You go to church, you want it over as quickly as it can possibly be because it's painful for you. I guess it would be in some of them for me too, but nevertheless. You see where I'm going with this? If you don't enjoy God's presence down here, if you're not pursuing after the wonderful presence of God down here, why in the world would you want to go to heaven? Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Not that I have already attained, or am already perfect. This is a man who has seen limbs grow back at the prayers of the saints. This is a man who's seen people raised from the dead. This is a man who has cast out devils. This is a man who has talked to Jesus, visited by Jesus. This is a man who has seen things that you and I said he was caught up to heaven and saw things that he cannot even talk about. This man having had all of those wonderful experiences, having walked with God for all of those years, now he tells the Philippian believers, I I haven't arrived. I'm still in pursuit of Him. I'm still chasing after God. I'm still running after Him as though it were the very first day of my salvation. I hunger for Him. I hunger for Him. And that's what the Holy Spirit said to me last night, Jim. Do you still hunger for Him more than all of these? He is pursuing Him. is chasing after Him. Him. Not success in your denomination or your ministry or your career or that people will like you or that you'll amass enough wealth to retire on. Are you pursuing after Him, Him, Him? If you had 24 hours... 
would it change your focus? Paul said, I'm not saying that I have it all together. That I've made it. But I am on my way reaching out for Christ. Who has wondrously reached out for me. There's not much preaching in church today. There really isn't. Five steps to financial prosperity. Three easy steps to divine healing. Five steps to make people like you. Ten steps to... You just fill in the blank. The problem with the church today is that it is fleshly and carnal and it appeals to the carnal nature of man to get him in the door and it entertains him with carnal things to keep him. Let a Holy Ghost fire revival break out and it would clear the place in five minutes. Let God show up. And they would trample each other to get to the door. Who do I fault for this? Right here. Right here. The prophet has gone out of the preacher. And success has replaced the preaching of the word of God. Preachers today are measured by how many members and how much money and how big their building is. You don't believe me? Check it out. Who draws the crowds? John the Baptist was beheaded. Huh? Let's see now. Let me do some recruiting here this morning. How many of you want to be a John the Baptist? Raise your hand. I didn't think so. You know his end. He was beheaded. His disciples come to Jesus and said, Are you the one or do we look for another? He said, This is what has happened. The gospel is preached. The sick are healed. The lepers are cleansed. And the poor have the good news preached to them. Credentials. And then he said, He turned from those John's disciples and he turned to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the hypocrites and he said, what did you dudes go out to see? When you went out to see John, why did you go out to see him? A prophet? He said, yea, I tell you, a prophet and much more. Why do people go to church today? Are they going to hear a message from God? Or are they going for the Hamburgers and hot dogs and entertainment. Why are they going to church? Why? Why are you going to church? You can do better. You can do better. Follow your leader. Paul wraps this thing up. Follow your leader. Don't be a renegade and remember your destination. Don't be a renegade. 
and follow and, and remember your destination. Brethren, he said, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our own lowly bodies and make it that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Do you need a special song sung to feel like you are blessed? If they don't sing your song, can you not get into the worship? If you don't feel an emotional high every service, is there something wrong in your church that you will lay off on spirits? Or is there something wrong in your spirit? If the preacher didn't preach a self-help message, but rather preach the word that brought conviction. Is it time for you to look for another church? Another preacher? Paul talked about that when he told Timothy, the time will come when those who have itching ears will go in search of preachers who will relieve the itch. And they will heap to themselves teachers that say what they want to hear. He said, don't be like that, Timothy. Preach the word. Whether they like it or not, preach. That's what you're called to do. We call them preachers. We call them ministers. We call them pastors. They need to live up to their calling or they need to turn in their credentials and go wash cars. Don't be a renegade and remember your destination. Follow your leader. Because every one of us, church, is going to have to give an account on Judgment Day for how we've lived our lives down here. When I get there, I don't want to hear God say, Jim, <laughs> you could have done better. You could have done better. But you were preoccupied, Jim. You were sidetracked, Jim. You got your priorities mixed up. Jim, you forgot to be thankful. Jim, you weren't pursuing me. Jim, you didn't follow your leaders. I don't want that to happen. I want to hear, well done. Thou good and faithful servant. I don't give two cents for what people down here say about me if he says, Jim, you fulfilled your mission. And that's what Paul said in the very last chapter of the last book of his life when he talked to Timothy. He said, my time is at hand. He could see 
what was coming. I believe by revelation of the Holy Spirit that he would not get out of this world alive. He could see that very soon the guards would come for him and they would lead him out and they would take his head off. And he told Timothy, my time is at hand. I have finished the course. In other words, I've made full proof of my ministry that God gave me. I've kept the faith. I've kept the faith. Timothy, they didn't have to wonder where Paul stood. They didn't have to wonder because I was there. Preacher didn't have to call me up and say, Why didn't you come to church today? Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the righteous judge shall give me. And not only me, but to all those who have loved His appearing. And there it is. Are we loving His appearing? Or will His appearing interrupt things in our life? If the answer to that last question is yes, you need to reset your priorities today. Let's stand together.